Hello and welcome to the Life Capoeira with Miss Rando for either our guest today from Cabarabamba, Toronto to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. I will say, I will start off by saying that I have two young ones, two little ones here, and they will be running in and out of the room, making noise. So I hope it doesn't interfere too much with the sound. That's okay. I have two young ones myself, but they are usually in bed. We haven't had an interruption yet, but... Uh, what time is it for you there? It's uh, 8.40 in the evening. Okay. Okay. So you're, yeah, mine would be sleeping by that time too. It's 3.40 for us here. Nice. So... You started in 1996 with Mestre Barao. We'd like yeah. to talk about that and getting going in Capoeira. Of course, yeah. So I started when I was 12 years old. Uh, I, I, my 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 mom had moved to Toronto in Canada when when I was seven. And at 12, I started Capoeira. We actually had moved to Vancouver, which is where Mestre Barao used to teach. And that's where I started with him there, only for a few months, maybe six months. And then we moved to back to Toronto, where I was kind of just visiting different Capoeira clubs. There's not not really any anybody's teaching a regular class here back at that time. And then he came to teach a, a seminar here. And that's when I went to his seminar and, and we reconnected and he invited me to go to Vancouver back again and train a little bit more. Was supposed to be trained for a month, turned into three months and six months. And I ended up living with him for a good five, six, five years um, in his home. I grew up, grew up there. A lot of my formative years were spent in the living in in a Capoeira Mestiz household, which can be intense because Capoeira came before anything else. Capoeira came before school, came before friendships. You know, so I grew up very, very much involved with Capoeira, and and that's I think that's a big part of why I got to where I am today. Because especially nowadays, we see a lot of kids, a lot of the teachers calling me, asking me. You know, what do you do about the teenagers? You know, it seems like they hit a, a phase where they all drop off. And it's true for us here too. But I think that having grown up in that uh, environment during my teenage years definitely helped keep me around. Teenagers nowadays, get they get pulled in all sorts of directions. So it's good to have a strong figure that that encourages you to, to keep going with Capoeira. I think it was in 2000 that you actually started running classes yourself. What got you on the journey of Capoeira teaching? Imagine... With Capoeira being your life in the best place house, was that always a goal for you, I expect? Um, well, once once I started living with them, yes, it wasn't in the beginning. But uh, I always had this, this idea that maybe one day I can make enough just to, to get by with doing what I love, which back then was, you know, it was a big dream for, especially for a young boy. I was never very talented in Capoeira. I had to work very hard. I was very stiff, uncoordinated very shy and and yeah that was always the dream from the beginning and you've gone from strength to strength since then you've had a nine times award-winning capoeira academy it's one of the largest in canada indeed in, in north america uh, how have you achieved this i mean obviously it would have been a lot of hard work but if you were going to be talking to other capoeira teachers out there that wanted to emulate your success what advice would you give to them just just to go back a little, I wouldn't go as far as saying that it's the large the, the largest in North America. I know we do have a you know or had a very nice studio to work on something now also. But yeah, we're definitely the the biggest school here in Toronto. There's very few, there seems to be very few 
Capoeira schools who have their own location. And that's not just here. I think all, all around North America and Europe. In Brazil, maybe there's, you know, there's just a lot more Capoeira in general. But it's not very common here. Really what I attribute to it is a, a lot of things. It's not just any one thing. But I think that what really set me apart from the beginning was my my belief that this was the, my only option. I see that a lot of times people, when they start teaching, they always have another job on the side, which is understandable, but they always have a plan B. And for me, that was true for about the first year of me running my 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 school. But at one point, I, I quit my job. I moved into the academy. And the last $500 that I had in my pocket, I invested in, in flyers. I made, I made like, I don't remember, maybe 5,000, 10,000 flyers at the time. And I had a stack of flyers. I had 24 hours in a day, no, no job, no kids, no mortgage. You know, I didn't, I was never a partier. And so I would literally wake up from the, the floor, which is where I slept and look over to my left. And there was this big open space, which was a training floor. And from the minute I woke up, I had to make, figure out a way to make, to fill that space. Um, and so that was number one is just really believing and, and uh, you know, diving in, uh, you know, going in with it, with both feet and not, not always one foot in, one foot out. And the other thing was my, my interest in learning other things that would help promote the, my Capoeira classes. So there's not a lot of information back then online. So I'd go to the library and take out stacks of books teaching you HTML and, and, you know, basic things that I can do to market my, the school. And so I started learning basic, you know, how to build a basic website because those things they still do. But back then I think they were even more, they cost a lot of money. You know, a website would run you at $2,000, $5,000. And it was just not money that I, that I had, but I had time. So I put the time into learning and educating myself on those, those things and marketing, learn some basic Photoshop and, and, you know, marketed my school that way. And those HTML skills and things, have they played a role in the iPlay Capoeira that you set up? Is it described as a Netflix of Capoeira? How's that going? Yeah, definitely. I must say, I, I wouldn't say I got better at HTML. I actually don't even know how to write HTML at all. I just learned the basics. But the, the systems out there have become a lot more user-friendly. And so you don't need to write any code. But you do have to be able to follow instructions and, and you know, troubleshoot and that sort of thing. So definitely lay the foundation because everything is, it's graphic design. You know, you got you to gotta know a little bit about Photoshop, about how to edit some videos and how to put a basic website together. And then everything else, we have a great, everybody has the same resources, which is YouTube, right? You don't need a fancy university or college degree to learn how to do this stuff. You have YouTube and you have time. Those are the two things that we need to you can figure out anything from how to how to save you know the world from global warming to how to make a bomb online whatever you want to do for good or bad you'll find information online so it's just a matter of you directing your energy and in in, in chasing after your dreams so yeah definitely played a role in, in the creation of i play cup with him and as we're talking about websites and, and your academy unfortunately you received the news that you've got a just a month left because your your landlords are basically kicking you out so they can repurpose their building yeah. and would you like to tell us about the the efforts to find a new academy and how our listeners can help yeah uh where are you located uh, we're in the uk oh in the uk okay i would assume it's pretty difficult there too in terms of 
space and prices. The the rental market here, the 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 real estate market here is is through the roof. Every a lot of areas are being rede- redeveloped into condos, to apartment buildings. There's a lot of rent people who rent, you know, like a one bedroom apartment. It's it's crazy. The prices are insane. And so, and then property taxes as well for commercial property, especially is very high. And so my landlord has also been struggling with that. So, you know, I'm actually not, uh, I can't say that I blame him. You know, he's also just trying, he's also has a family to feed and we had a, a fairly good agreement with him for, for quite some time. And he's also just trying to try to make ends meet. And so he was forced to raise the, the price on us by quite a bit. Um, but on top of that, also, he wants to repurpose the, the location for a, Apartments, which you can get a, a lot more money for. Uh, the property taxes also will be lower because when it's a residential versus commercial, it's it's lower. What I think he wants to do is we have the whole floor of his building, basically. What he wants to do is separate that into separate units, which he can, you know, demand higher amounts when you when you combine everything. So that's, yeah, that's where we are. We're looking for some places in the area which is very difficult to find. We're in a very, you know, nice neighborhood in the city. Not nice, I mean, expensive, but I mean, just, you know, it's a, it's a very heavily culture in a neighborhood. We have a lot of Italians, a lot of Spanish, a lot of Brazilians and Portuguese. And it's a, it's a nice neighborhood. So finding a place the same size that we had is near impossible. Um, and so we were looking at some places further away and some places further away, but I don't think our students would, hundred percent of them would come along to so some people bike, some people walk. And so the tough thing, the tough part was finding a, what I told my students was we have price, size, and location. We can have one or two of those, but we can't have all three. So we're either going to pay a lot and be in a good location. We're either going to have a lot, a big size, big location and pay a lot, um, or we're going to have and be in a good location or big location or sorry, in a far location. We're going to have a lot of space, pay less, but be very far. So what we chose to go with is the one that is the scariest for me. We're staying close. We got the size, but the price is very high. And so we got, we got two out of the three. The price I believe is the way I see it is there's out of those three things, only one thing I can, uh, I can control. I can't control the size. Whatever, we're stuck with whatever we have. I can't control the location. Wherever we go, we're stuck there for the duration of the lease. And the price, although I cannot control what I pay, I can control my income. And so if I make more money, I'm able to afford the place. And the way we plan on doing that is we're going to rent it out to different arts, having you know people run dance classes and, and kids' birthday parties. So we're really thinking outside the box here to be able to bring in that extra income. And, and then, of course, always constantly promoting. I told my wife the other day, in the beginning stages, when we first got our place, when I lived at the academy, I was very uncomfortable. I lived, I slept on the floor. I didn't know where I was going to get my next, my next rent money from. And I was very uncomfortable. Lately, I've been quite comfortable. Um, you know, things have been going very well. You know, we, we were very blessed, very fortunate. And so I think that when you're comfortable, it holds you back a little bit because you're not really striving for not that we're not working hard we still work very hard but if i don't have to i won't you know if i want to take a day off i can take a day off whereas right now we're going to be we're going to go back to being uncomfortable i think that that's gonna give us a bit of an extra drive 
just until we get the wheels turning and then we'll everything will work itself out you know we'll, we'll figure out other things to do with the extra space that we have we actually got a, a lot more space now and so it's just a matter of filling that up with other other classes i think we can do it, make it happen good luck and for anybody that would like to help there is a crowdfunding page that has been set up that will be in the episode description below for you to sort of check out i appreciate so appreciate that. Uh, the current financial environment aren't always the the easiest for people to donate charitably but if you are able to then be greatly appreciated of course yeah yeah and it's a difficult time because although it is you know it's a holiday season now so people tend to be a little bit tighter on money but also what i told my students the other day is it, yes people are tight on money but it is also the the season of giving right this is when people are most most charitable and we we had asked for forty thousand dollars canadian which is i think less than your currency there and we're up to about twenty thousand right now and one of my friends said based on the support that you guys are getting i have no doubt that you guys are going to be do just fine because there's a lot of people reaching out whether through a message or donations um, just the amount of response that we've gotten i think is a testament to our to our, our reach in our community and our impact in the community. It would be terrible if we had asked, you know, even for less and, and gotten, you know, a hundred dollars. I was looking at some some GoFundMe pages here and there's some people with, you know, like $5, $75. I was like, okay, well, maybe these people don't have the same reach. And it seems like we have a big reach. People support what we do. And and it shows, you know, that, that GoFundMe speaks for itself based on how many people are, are willing to help. So it goes beyond just the money, though. There's a lot of people who are just helping by sharing, by uh, by the messages, you know, the the comments and so on. So that's uh, that's to be honest with you, it's very it was tough time for us for a while, but once we saw the support that we're getting, it's almost like now we can't give up. We got to keep pushing. We can't let all those people down. You also been very um, switched on with with all avenues of of promoting as well. You've got a big social media presence and i know that that's also helped you you've done a lot in the the community and how do you find running your own big studio and one of the things you like to discuss here on the life capoeira is just people's different experiences and obviously uh we've got some instructors who just have to rent out like a village hall uh what are the day-to-day -day logistics of having an academy of your own in, in in toronto yeah um like i said it's a constant uh it's i saw this thing one time that somebody posted about saying how they wanted to it was one of those instagram posts something along the lines of they wanted they wanted more freedom from their job so they started their own business and now they work 24 7. so as soon as you start doing something for on your own i'm the type of person that i put a lot of pressure on myself and so to be honest with you there's not one minute that my brain isn't turning and thinking about something related to the academy and related to capoeira and it's, it's even difficult sometimes because, like I said, I have two kids at home, you know, I have my wife. And so disconnecting from work and spending time with them sometimes is, is a bit difficult. And that's something that I'm working on that I, I want to improve. But it's always it's always on my mind because not only I want to get to that next level, but also we also I also have the, 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 the concern about, you know, I can't just show up to work and receive a paycheck. That's not how it works. My paycheck is dependent on how successful I am. And so. The logistics, the logistics of it involves really just always promoting and thinking outside of the box. The great thing is that there's no limit to how creative we can be. 
Um, you know, we can create a promotion. We can go and, and, and hand out flyers on the corner. We can come up with some other type of strategy. And I don't have to get approval from anybody. You know, if it works, we continue. If it doesn't, we cut it off. But it's it's one person making decision. And then we can hit the ground running faster rather than trying to, you know, go, go through a manager or somebody else who has to approve all types of decisions or asking for permission sometimes when you're in a bigger school. You know, you got to get permission. Can I make the shirt? Can I do this? Can I go over there? So I understand that, that side as well. But I just, my ideas are just so many that it would hold me back if I had to wait, you know, a few, even a few days just to get approved for what I want to do. So I think it's constantly trying to innovate and, and come up with new strategies. And there's no limit. There's no right or wrong. The wrong ones help you learn how to make the right ones better. And, and the good ones, you know, they work and you repeat them. But the wrong ones serve a purpose too, which is to educate you. I know that your wife helps with the running of the academy as well. How big is your border team? You obviously seem to take a lot on your shoulders yourself. You're, you're constantly on the go. Uh, I see on your website, you've got sort of a team of instructors as well. How easy is it? Do you find sort of managing that aspect of, of the academy? Well, I think that one of the secrets to success in the in a couple of school is that husband and wife dynamics. I think that that's part of our our secret, our success is that we are a team, myself and her, running it. We are we're not business partners. We're actually partners in life, which makes it so that we both have a similar goal. We don't have this. This is my money. This is your money, because you know I, I feel like we would be working in separate directions. She would be trying to make her money, I'd be trying to make my money. And so I think that the, the, the dynamics that we have makes it perfect. She's been very busy with our kids lately. So in some aspects, she's kind of taking the back seat. But behind the scenes, everything that I need done, phone calls and emails and, and you know communication with the students, she's still from home doing that. And I'm more of the execution person and the idea person. You know, I come up with the ideas. We work together how to make it happen. I execute it, but she organizes it all in the back end. Uh, she she keeps our, our students. I'm very much, you know, I want to get in, get the job done and, and you know, hang out a little bit, but not too much. She's more of the talkative person. You know, she talks to everybody. She makes everybody kind of bond a bit more. Not that I don't like to talk to them, but I'm very targeted. Like I have a target and I want to hit that. You know, I want to go train. I want to make make my students better. I need them to improve on this. I'm not like chit-chat all the time. And she's much better on that. And so we balance each other out on that side. So it's definitely a team effort, um, myself and her. And then we have our, our team of students as well who help out with putting events, to, mostly with putting, putting events together. The day-to-day -day of the academy is mostly myself and my wife, but the events is is mostly actually the students that, that help organize it. Yeah, so the team, the team is what really what makes the uh, the events come together. And myself and my wife, we run the day-to-day -day operations. How do you help your students learn about the Brazilian roots and culture that are obviously a large part of Capoeira? Yeah, so we we try to the one one of many great things about having our own school is that we, like I said, we experiment all the time. You know, if we were renting space, it would be difficult to get another time slot to run different classes and so on. And so we we periodically rotate our schedule, our monthly schedule, to include things like makulele, Portuguese lessons. So I, I teach Portuguese classes a couple times a month. 
And in those classes, we talk about the history. We'll take a song and not only translate the song and go to the grammar, but also break down the, the stories behind songs. And then we we host two. Actually, I have another student who also runs two events, Professor Puga, who's in a neighboring city from us here in Mississauga. He also hosts his own events. And then we host one annual batizado, which is tied in with a, a, a performance, a play. And then another one is a competition. During that play, we get during the months leading up into the, the play, it's a cultural play talking about the history of Capoeira. During those months, we we go very deep to the history of Capoeira because we're not only researching for ourselves, but researching for the play as well. So we want to make sure that everything that's depicted in the play is accurate. And so we sort of rotate our, our curriculum throughout the year. We have seminars where it's more training. We have the competition where it's more the athletic and the martial arts and competitive side of capoeira. So we get more into the technical side. And then we have the batizado, which is with the uh, the, the play, we call it Origins da Capoeira, the origins of capoeira. And in that play, we get really deep into the, the history and the cultural side of capoeira. So I find that that's a good balance to have the sports, you know, the, the, the competitive, and then also the cultural aspect of capoeira. And throughout the year, like I said, we rotate through the schedule. Right now, actually, last night we created, we came up, the students came up with something, and I basically just put the seal of approval, if I like the idea, that we're going to be doing Angola Thursdays. So every Thursday, we're going to finish the, the class with Angola Hoda. And they seem to want to do that, so we're gonna we're gonna give that a try. And then throughout the the month, we'll have a Matulele class and Portuguese class to get more deeply into the uh, the culture as well. Brilliant! Thank you for for sharing your story there. The final question, always asking the podcast, is what is capoeira? What is capoeira? I can say for myself, we can say, you know, what capoeira is in general, but what capoeira is to me, it's really. This is going to sound a little cheesy, but it's life. It's my life revolves around capoeira, my kids, my family, everything I have today is thanks to capoeira. But not in, just in the material sense, but also capoeira, capoeira in my life, they go, they walk hand in hand. Because as I, as I learn and make mistakes and correct myself in capoeira, that applies into my personal life. And vice versa. So if things that I learned in life, I think I became a better teacher in Capoeira as I matured as, as a man, as a human being. I started teaching when I was 16 years old. And although I had the moves, I didn't really have too much up here. And so I really believe that as I matured in my own life, my, my teaching has become better. But also I matured in my personal life because of Capoeira, because of the experiences in Capoeira you know, wanting to help people, wanting to help people overcome. I take it as a personal challenge when somebody comes into my class and they struggle with anything, whether it's the music, the movements with, you know, maybe they're overweight and they can't really go all the way down. And so I take it as a challenge to myself. I don't see it as it's, it's a flaw in them. I see it as if I'm good at what I do, I can help them achieve some level of success, right? Maybe, maybe, you know, they're not going to learn how to do a backflip, if they're, you know, 300, 400 pounds, but I will get them to learn capoeira and to move capoeira because moving capoeira, because you don't need to be super athletic. Yes. You need to be athletic. If you're going to be a competitor, you know, doing backflips and that sort of thing, but that's a very small portion of capoeira, right? There's more, much more to it than that. And so I really think that they go hand in hand, my personal life and capoeira. And it's also to me, reflection. Um, I reflect a lot on the things I say to my students 
sometimes it's something very simple. Like they ask me something and I say no, right? Nothing, for example, this example I gave about the Angola Thursdays. There have there has been a time when I was younger when students would suggest something to me in the class and I would say no. But again, this is in my young days, my early 20s, my late teens. And somebody will say something, I'll say, no, I'm going to do it the way I want to do it. And that's it. But I didn't realize that if they're asking, it's because there's a need or they enjoy it. And so I'm here to help them achieve their goals. And if their goals revolve around doing more stretching in the class, we're going to do more stretching. Right. So I think that in ref reflecting on my ways, I've, have also made me a better person and a better teacher. Wonderful. And it's interesting what you say there as a, a science teacher as well as a, a Capra teacher myself, I think there's that balance to get between what the students are wanting and what you know yeah. that needing, but then also that human kind of, you know, do you actually always necessarily know best? And and it's, it's, that's part of the art of, of teaching is, is yeah, yeah, so that, and, um, don't get me wrong. My, my kids in my kids class, we have this game that we play with the ball. We call it the ball game. They always ask to play the, the ball game and nine out of 10 times I do have to still say no. But, you know, if they say, hey, can I practice more skivas or more kicks? I'm like, hey, that's a good call. Let's do more skivas, right? So everything with balance, right? It can't just be like, hey, can we just do nothing today? Then even even now, like, if, you know, if we show up and I see that everybody's kind of on a, on a down note, everybody's a little tired, it may, here it snows a lot. So on days when it's, you know, it's, the weather's not very good, I see the energy is kind of low. I say, hey, guys, let's just do music today. Or they'll say, can we just do music today? And yeah, it's related with Capoeira. We can improve our music. So 100%, let's do music. All right. So yeah, it's really, I'm learning with them as I go. I'm learning also, you know, what they need, what their needs are, and then we can uh, adapt what we know with what they need. Well, I wish you all the best and every success with the new premises and, and the fundraising to, to get there. Thank you very Thank much, you very much. For to be on. We'll be linking to the, the crowdfund and the various social media accounts in the episode description below. And awesome. if you want to get in touch with us, you can get us at thelifecapoeira at gmail.com or on Facebook and Instagram. And also at the end of January, it's my birthday on January the 28th. So I'd like to invite you to, to check out the event right below. We've got Mestre Primo is going to be giving an online capoeira workshop that's obviously accessible to anyone with the internet. And then also if you're in the UK and can make it to Chichester, then we'll be projecting that on the wall. And we've got a workshop with Mestre Phantasma and a harder and a Batizado for my daughters and any of the profits are going to be going to to Black Hansi UK. Awesome. Before we wrap up, Mr. Andrew, are there any closing comments or thoughts that you'd like to leave our listeners with? Um, well, if we have any, uh, I'm sure you have both students and teachers. I think that uh, what it needs more people that believe in it. Um, you know, people won't, uh, they won't hesitate to open a business and invest money into that business when it's a restaurant, when it's, you know, some kind of a clinic, a sports clinic, a gym. And it seems like capoeiristas sometimes don't believe in what they do the same way. And I think that we need more people that believe in it. I think we need, you know, if there's for the students out there that if they love what they do, that they uh, consider at least pursuing it in a way, in a professional manner, you know, in a manner that if somebody sees them doing their work that, you know, People will appreciate the work and the effort and the the impact that they have on the community so that we can have more practitioners in Capoeira, but not just that, but also more teachers who work with 
when you see jujitsu schools and Muay Thai schools, they all, tend to always have a nice facility and that sort of thing. And I always try very much for that. And so I think that Capoeira deserves that. And it, it's sort of my my quest out there to make it so that it's more achievable for more teachers to do that. That's kind of why I share my struggles as well, because a lot of people who see my school, my school don't really know the backstory because it's been 20 years to get to where it is. And so now people can see it from the beginning. They can see what it is to lose everything and take a huge chance, take a huge risk, right? Like we're going to invest a lot of money into this new location. But I believe in myself. I believe in Capoeira. And I think that we can we can make it happen and hopefully inspire some people along the way who are on the fence and to maybe one day be like, you know what, let me start something small here and let me start a class at a community center and then maybe eventually move on to something else and, you know, motivate people along the way as well. So that's why I share my story and I hope it touches at least one person. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much, Rosando Fryber. And thank you, my friend. Good luck with everything. And thank you very much, listeners, for listening. Until next time. Ciao. I appreciate it. Salve Capoeira.